When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Recorded live. Well, good evening, everybody. As we're getting near the end of the school year, I know there's a lot of chaos out there. I hope everyone's handling that okay in the midst of a troubling situation, but I guess we need to jump right to the questions tonight. So, uh, first question. My husband and I have been working through his eight-month emotional affair that I discovered about two and a half months ago. So far, my husband has told me that he had no romantic feelings for his affair partner and that all they did was talk. And sometimes the conversations became sexual. I've seen some of the text conversations they had that were sexual and even heard a few voicemails she left him that led me to believe that she indeed had romantic feelings for him. He even says that he knew she did too, and that is when he panicked and did not know how to get out of the relationship. He absolutely denies any feelings other than friendship for her and has ended the relationship. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it because of the text I read between the two of them and hearing her voice, her tone of voice, and the terms of endearment she used when she called him. Um, <coughs> sorry. We both have different perspectives on what the relationship was, and my husband is having a hard time knowing that I don't believe him, and he thinks I never will, and so we seem to be at a standstill in being able to continue the reconciliation of our relationship. My question is, how do we get past that? What will ever change that I will believe him? I want to believe him, and I feel like he is telling me the truth but my mind says it doesn't make sense. Um, I know that this is really confusing to you, and I also know that it's pretty fresh, and I'm sorry about that, because it is confusing to try to sort through something like this. Um, the thing that I know after many, many years of working with people who have been betrayed and some of the people who have been unfaithful is that often when two people are in an inappropriate relationship, um, whatever it is, emotional affair, sexual affair, they often have very different perspectives of what the relationship is. It isn't actually unusual for the male half of the affair couple to not have any romantic feelings or emotional attachment to the other woman, but the woman is more likely to have romantic feelings or an emotional attachment to the man. Um, and I just see that over and over and over and over. I don't know what the sexual um, conversations were about from his perspective, given that he use their relationship as just a friendship. But I absolutely believe that it's possible that she developed 
romantic feelings for him and an emotional attachment, and he didn't feel that way towards her. I see it over and over and over. Yeah, I I think it's highly possible because I see it over and over too. I mean, I've had guys who will say I love you to a prostitute to try to get a cheaper rate or try to. I mean, oh well, that's true. I mean, it it's you can't take anything that's said to the AP at face value as truth because very often men will manipulatively say whatever they need to say to, to whatever get what they, they want. Whatever they think the yeah. other person wants to hear. Exactly, and and very well could have just been manipulating her and 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 oftentimes, I mean. Uh, we get lots of guys in affairs who do bolt the moment they realize that the other person really does have legitimate feelings because they wanted a surface level, you know, yeah. way to, yeah, and they didn't want this deep relationship and they get spooked by it when it really happens. I, so I'm, I'm totally with Leslie on this one. I think it, it's it's very possible. And I think one thing I might suggest, I, you know, we often tell men to not think about feminine infidelity from a masculine point of view and for women to think of masculine infidelity from a feminine point of view, meaning uh, don't be thinking about what would be going on in a woman's mind if she were the unfaithful. Or your mind. Or your mind, exactly. Right, because that's really where people get tripped up. Yeah, it's an apples to oranges comparison. I mean, you know, women, you know, traditionally are, are so much harder to deal with when they're the unfaithful partner because they emotionally go all in. And most women don't really get to that place unless they've already emotionally disengaged from their marriage and they really feel like it's over and they've, um, they have to, you know, feel like one is done before they really step fully into the other one in so many cases. And I know that's not a universal pattern, but, um, but as a result, I mean, a lot of women will think about this from the perspective of where would I have to be to be saying these kinds of things or to be even having this conversation with someone else. And it's not an objective comparison because guys are so good at compartmentalizing things that they can they can um, have this little part of themselves walled off and selfishly be in this little private closet of theirs. But when you know when it really comes to light, they often want no part of it. Right. And as John speaks of compartmentalization, that's an explanation for how a man's mind can work. It's not an excuse. They still have responsibility for for their behavior. Absolutely. And and the keeping of secrets at the end of the day is the thing that destroys trust more than anything. But the story that your husband has told you and the way that you've written it down, from my experience, is very, very believable. Yeah, me too. I think it sounds highly plausible. And I I certainly don't in any way begrudge your right to to have doubts about that. Right, and it may take some time. Uh, because the other thing is, as we, as we share the things we're sharing, I also want you to know, going back to the, the definition of infidelity as the keeping of secrets, your pain, your confusion, and your fear are going to be every bit as much an issue for you as if it was a different kind of affair. Um, And so I I don't want you to minimize your pain and your fear and your confusion Um, because regardless of of the story and the circumstances, those things are the same. So um, wish you well on that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So the next question says, what kind of age-appropriate conversation should I be having with my kids about the truth of what their dad has done? My husband and I are currently going through a divorce. He has refused to give up his latest affair partner. We have six children, two, four, 14, 15, 20, uh, two kids at 20. I just found out that my husband introduced my two youngest to his affair partner without my knowledge. So sorry. Yeah, that, uh, That's so painful. Yeah. We were told in mediation that introducing the affair partner to our children prior to our divorce being official was unacceptable. I agree with that. We were told that all parties should be involved as to when, where, and how the introduction was to take place. He disregarded and ignores this advice completely. I wanted to be able to prepare myself and my children ahead of time. Not telling me was intentional on his part. Now he wants my teenagers to meet this woman and her 10-year-old son. They are not interested in doing so, and he is convinced that I am persuaded them not to, persuading them not in wanting to meet her. They are having a hard time with the consequences of my husband's choices and do not want to spend time with him and his affair partner. What, if anything, can I do about this situation? Let me just begin by saying this is an intensely frustrating place that a lot of people find yeah, themselves. I'm so, so sorry. I think this is one of those places that adds a tremendous amount of insult to injury. Um, you know, the infidelity is bad enough in getting through that, but the thought of this person just intruding into your kid's life is, is nauseating for well, a lot of people. Well, and your husband disregarding uh, the advice that has been given to him. Yeah. You know, in terms of what you can do, I mean, first, I mean, this may sound like kind of a, a punt answer, but the first thing I would say is to pray. Um, and not necessarily pray for her immediate death or something like that, but but praying for, you know, for, for wisdom, for insight, for patience. And, you know, because... One of the frustrating things, unless they're, you know, as I understand it, and, and each state's a little bit different on this, but unless there are specific court orders otherwise, I don't know legally what you can do much about it. I know in Texas, you have no legal recourse. Right. And so, you know, I, I don't want to say just grin and bear it, but I guess I would part of why I'm suggesting prayer is because um, I, I want to alleviate some of the fears that you're having. I mean... And, and believe me, we hear horror stories about this. You know, in, in my case, well, and we you know, lived through some of them. Yeah, my my ex was immediately wanting my three year old daughter to call the AP daddy and and things like that, and uh, and hear things like that, and, and, it, and it's just really it's painful for the person going through it. I know it was for me, and I had all kinds of rage about it. I had all kinds of fears about it. But what you know, our fears generally don't come to pass in these kinds of situations. You know, I think um, I think your kids have a right to know. I would, you know, caution you about triangulating them, meaning, you know, you don't intentionally try to poison their view um, about their father or anything like that. But in this case, I mean, I think the kids have the right to make up their own their own minds, and it sounds like they already have a strong resistance to this. I mean, I think in many cases it, it tends to play out naturally that. I think one of the almost laughable aspects of people when they leave their marriages for an affair partner is the fantasy they have that, that you know, because they feel so overwhelmed with this new romance and all this crap, that they feel like that their kids are going to naturally want to go along for the ride. And just, boy, once they meet this woman, they'll see how wonderful she is, and she'll, they'll think she's just as wonderful as I think she is. And the reality on the ground is not that at all. Um, in most cases, in so many cases, especially with older kids, they see her as the homewrecker, as the interloper, as the other woman, as 
you know, and they want nothing to do with it, or you know, or their kid. Um, you know, and so that's just part of the fantasy when someone thinks that there's just going to be this beautiful Brady Bunch kind of blended harmony and everybody's going to love each other and get along. Um, no, in most cases that's not the case. But um, I, I don't want you to um, to sweat too much what what A, you can't control, but B, probably won't play out what your fear tells you it's going to play out anyway. Um, this is a nice time as I talk about prayer to practice the serenity prayer, you know, meaning try to change and take control of what, what you can, you know, and recognize what you can't and, and then just let that go, surrender that. Because it, it, can, it can really drive you crazy trying to lock these things down when, when ultimately you don't have that much you can, you can really do. But I just, I just believe that, uh, you know, these things tend to take care of themselves. Yeah, I don't know that I have a whole lot to add to what John said, um, but just a couple of things. One is that even though what is going on is incredibly wrong and your husband is being incredibly selfish and short-sighted, you have the opportunity to love your children in a very sacrificial way. Um, I know for myself, um, I remember the the pain and the fear that I had when my then 12-year-old daughter and 15-year-old son were in this same position. Um, and teenagers have a natural sense of justice. And so they are naturally going to side with you. Um, but you have an opportunity to give them a blessing in that you're able to say, when you guys are ready, I want you all to have the best possible relationship that you can have with your father. Um, because giving them permission to have a relationship with their father is a gift that you're giving them and I think it's one of the greatest gifts of love a person in your position can give your children because your children have been through enough and um, the last thing they need is to feel torn between the two of you now, your husband obviously isn't going to play fair, and I'm sorry about that. But as you're able to love your children well, support them in having the best possible relationship they can have with their father, they will forever be grateful to you for that. Um, and I do know that that's a huge, painful um terrible thing to have to do because I have been there. Um, and I guess maybe on some words of encouragement, um, I know that because I was able to do that for my kids, I have a great relationship with them today. And my kids are actually doing pretty well. So um, even though you're in the midst of this terrible storm and you feel 
powerless. Loving your children well has great power. So God bless you on that. Next question. How do I get him to be more interested in recovery? My D-Day was 11-2013. We are in a better place, or so it seemed. He showed empathy and even love for me. I was doing better and we were happier. Then my triggers came back. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to figure out why your triggers came back um, after they had been fading. I got so upset, I said everything I was feeling. I felt we were having anonymous sex because we never look at each other. This has been going on for several years. I told him I hate everything remotely related to anything that involved his lovers. The cities he took them, the continents they are from, the car from their countries, etc., I even confess I'm not looking forward to our summer vacation home, which we have been going to for years. It used to be my sanctuary where we were all able to be a family every summer. He traveled extensively, and this is where we and our kids got to enjoy him. Now I don't like it. I feel like all we built has shattered because it was fake. Now I feel like I just met him, and we don't have history because he is not the person I thought I married. We did attend EMS weekend, but have not completed Married for Life. I want to do it, and he says he wants to, but I feel it makes him uncomfortable. How do I get him to be more interested in recovery? Right now I feel like we are roommates with just polite conversations. I feel this is deja vu of five years ago when all this garbage started. We are disconnected, isolated, pretending normal, avoiding the truth, etc. I told him we need therapy. So we were doing well, just us two spending time together, but now I see more than ever we need help and couples therapy takes two. Thanks for all you do. You are angels. Well, that's a really sweet comment. Uh, I don't get called angel very often. Thank you. (laughs) But if we are able bless any of you out I just want to say that is our privilege and our blessing um, because we do deeply desire to give you hope and help and encouragement um, the the thing that I wonder um, about is if I if I'm reading the question right it sounds like your triggers were fading and then they came back I don't know if you've had a chance um, to maybe even talk with somebody qualified to help you figure out what that's about. Um, I think the best way to tell your husband um, what you need is to tell him that you would feel safer if he would be willing to finish the married for life, because that's true, that you would feel safer if he would be willing to do some couple therapy with you. Because whatever has kicked the triggers back up, to me, that's connected to a feeling of not being safe. Um, 
If you're not feeling safe, I also want you to remember that what you know and what you feel may not be one and the same. So as you don't feel safe, you actually may be very, very safe. And um, and even though right at this juncture, it feels like there's no history and you don't know him, um, as you are able to go on with your recovery, um, that will not always be true. Um, I know even for myself in my first marriage, um, I can look back to my first marriage and I can see times that um, my first husband and I were in the same book on the same page. And so that should not forever feel true. But um, to me it's apparent that right now, for whatever reason, you're having a lot of anxiety and you're not feeling safe. I have no doubt that your husband is interested in doing things to help you feel safer. And um, and so doing these things I think would probably be a big motivator for him. Yeah, and, and, and it is hard to reconcile that and make make sense of the of the two histories, uh, you know, and but I guess what struck me in this is that he gets uncomfortable with recovery. And I guess my comment with that is that recovery is not supposed to be comfortable. Um, real change and really confronting the reality of who we are and what our issues are is by definition an uncomfortable process. And it takes courage and it takes integrity to step into that. And, you know, particularly in this case, and, yeah, I, you know, don't want to be a hypocrite because I don't like to sit there and face up to things that I've done wrong or ways that I've hurt people. It's hard to to be confronted with that again and again, and I, on most days, would rather just move peacefully on with my life. But what I would want him to understand is he didn't, you didn't have that option. I mean, you can't just peacefully go on with your life while you still have unresolved pain about about this going on and this happening, and you should get to control the the timeline on however much and what you need to heal from that. So, you know, and and so I think, uh, you know, in terms of getting him more interested in recovery, I think I don't know any way to force that other than, you know, when we, when we need help, we need to get to the place where we're trying to save ourselves, where we're... Um, you know, regardless of the state of the marriage or whatever, that that I'm I'm facing the reality of me, and and that's a critical step for all of us to get to. We all need to finally get to the place where we can take that unadulterated look at ourselves and and face whatever we see, and that's again not always a pleasant process. Right, and um and I'm glad that John picked up on that part of of your question. Sometimes the person who's been unfaithful has a lot of shame. Um and and so they they don't want to think about the past because they feel terrible about it. But uh but as John said, it's not your job to make sure your husband's comfortable. Um if if it is his shame or his guilt, then potentially doing some couples therapy together could even help with that and bridge that gap. Completely. And best 
Best luck with that. Yeah. So our final question tonight says, is it normal to still be hurting? About a month ago, I was in my husband's apartment where he works in another state, and by a miracle of God, while he was at work, a package arrived. It was a letter from the AP. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I opened it and started reading it. This woman was using so much control and manipulation in regards to their relationship, trying to convince them that they should get together and talk again and revisit the memories and time they had cultivated. She sent the letter full of pictures of the time of their affair. Hey, that must have been a picnic for you to look at. That's, yeah, I'm uh, sorry that you have read all that. My husband has told her they are finished and that he's trying to save his family. However, she stated in the letter that he asked for a pause. Because closing the relationship didn't happen, she was obviously left with hope. Or she made her own. The letter, Which is entirely possible. <laughs> absolutely, that happens a lot. The letter had a flash drive that we thought we threw away with the letter, but a month later I found the flash drive sticking out from the sofa in his apartment where I showed him the letter and it probably fell, and I put it in my computer. It had every single picture they took during their affair, favorite music, videos, letters and notes they had written to her, and the last letter that she sent via email. I'm uh, so sorry. Yeah, that's nauseating. After the letter, I got very upset and flooded like never before. Well, I, I bet. I bet, yep. I was so hurt to see the pictures where he looked so happy while my kids and I were dying of hurt and pain because he left us to go after this woman. My husband sent her a final email in front of me saying it was not a pause, but that he was ending this forever, and please do not contact me anymore. He says he loves me and is sorry that this has happened, but thinks that this letter didn't have any information that he has not shared with me. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I am too on that. He's doing everything to gain me back, counseling, EMS weekend, the EMS aftercare groups. He has made all the time for us to be together and work on our marriage, and I'm pleased to hear that too. Yeah, me too. He wants to put me first before his job and kids. It's been a roller coaster ride, but we always end up not quitting and wanting to regain perspective and not focusing on the past and the hurt and pain. I already forgave him, but it still hurts when I think of his affair. It has been only three months since he left for good. Is it normal for me to still be hurting by just thinking of what he did with this woman? Yes. Yeah, we'll just answer that one right away. <laughs> yes. Is it normal that sometimes he just doesn't want to relive any of this because he thinks I should just put it behind me? Yes. Yes, but we don't recommend it. We'll right. talk about that in a second. Should I still ask him questions that are not clear in my mind, even though he gets anxious and sad that I go back to the same thing? Yes. Yeah, well, it's lovely. He's making this one easy. Um, he believes in the five-to-one ratio, positive against negative. Please help me with this because I feel that sometimes I get overwhelmed and freeze and want to flee. Thank you for answering my very long question. Um, yeah, first of all, it's absolutely normal. I mean, in the scheme of this, with this very complex form of pain and grief, three months is not that much. It really isn't. No, it isn't. Um, you know, we talk about this being an 18 to 24-month process, so you, you look at it, you know, you're not even a quarter of the way in in terms of the normal full processing of this to coming out the other side of it. Well, and then you had all this stuff that came up a month ago. Yeah, I mean, so that which takes you right back to, to square one, in many cases, or beneath square one in, in some cases. So so totally normal for that. Um, and, yeah, uh, I know most guys don't want to relive any of this. Of course they don't. <laughs> you know, but, but just like with our last question, you don't have that choice, and he shouldn't really have that choice. I mean, sure, he'd like to put this behind him and move on with his life, but he just dumped this this incredibly painful reality into your life, and you can't just, like, snap your fingers and it magically disappear. 
you know, we talk about this being a 24-7 job that gets dumped on you and, and it's with you all the time. Um, so, yeah, I understand he wants to put it behind you, but, but you, you just don't objectively, I don't know any way that you can possibly do that even if you wanted to. It's not like most women or men who have been betrayed want to be thinking about this all the time. No. Um, they just can't help it. It's, it's just it's there. And, and you don't, you know, he doesn't have the right to set a time limit on your questions or decide what you're going to ask. I mean, you know, if you've heard us before, we always say to be prayerful about what you ask for and, and know why you're asking it. And, and the 24-hour rule. The 24-hour rule and all that, 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 you know, you want to, you know, protect yourself in the way that you're asking the questions. But, but most women need to repeatedly ask these questions to, to even get some sense of which way is up or some sense of, of sanity with all this. Um, so, you know, I know men in his position can feel like by asking the questions again and again, it's just keeping this thing artificially alive and it'll go on forever. But in reality, it tends to be quite the opposite. If you can go through it, that, I mean, that's the only way you come out the other side. There's no end around on this. And, and you, have to, you have to intensely engage the issues and the questions if you ever want to come out the other side. If you just go back to pretend normal, which we advise against at all costs, that's what keeps it alive ultimately. The old pain stays there. The old grief stays there. It may go latent for a while, but it'll always come back. The only way we ever get to real peace with this is by going through it. And I want him to understand that, too, that this isn't forever. But, again, three months is just an eye blink against the, the whole scheme of the gifts. And I, I guess the last thing I would say, too, is you mentioned that you already forgave him. And, and, and I want you to be really careful with that, too, because, um, you know, with, with infidelity, there's so many layers of forgiveness that need to happen and, you know, Leslie is frequently fond of saying, you know, that, you know, that, that uh, well, actually, I'll let you talk about that, about, you know, um, forgiveness being a, an event and a process. And a, um, it, it's, it's seldom something you just decide to do and it happens. I mean, you have to really engage forgiveness as a process, and, and it takes time to do that, especially when new little pieces of information are trickling out or you feel like you hit a wall sometimes. So... I don't want you to get too locked in on, on you know, forgiveness too quickly, even though it may sound crazy, um, but it can lock us down and, and freeze us up from being able to process what we're really needing to emotionally process because we feel like we don't have a right to now because we forgave them. And, and so I just want you to be careful with that. You want to say a little more about that, Liz? Well, um, the first thing I want to say is about the five-to-one ratio. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, because... I totally believe in John Gottman's research that... You want to tell everyone else what that is? John Gottman? And the 5 to 1 ratio. And yeah, and I was starting to. I okay, thought. I just want to make sure. <laughs> make sure. Uh, yeah, John Gottman's research that good marriages um, versus marriages that aren't good have a 5 to 1 ratio Five positive to one negative. Um, John Gottman is a man who is in the Seattle area, and he has done research on couples for over 30 years. And, and his wife, Julie, you want to mention her too? Well, she doesn't do the research, but <laughs> she's, she's included in the materials for sure. But... Um, so I, I completely agree that 
That is solid research. The thing that I also want to add to that is that that it doesn't apply to marriages in crisis. A marriage in crisis is really not going to be able to have the five to one ratio. And that's why they're good in for bad interactions. If you're still wondering. Um, so that's the first thing I would want um, him to understand. That you guys will get back to regular marriage and those principles will apply. And, and there are good materials that the Gottmans have written um, and I encourage everybody to, when your marriage is past the crisis point, to, um, to look their materials up because it is very, very good stuff. Um, but your marriage is in crisis. And so one of the things that I want you to communicate to your husband is that we believe one of the best ways you can begin to believe him is by asking him questions and by him answering them non-defensively. If you didn't want to believe him, you wouldn't be asking questions. And so if you can help him to understand this, um, I I think maybe it will help change his, his mindset. This is another way he can help you heal, and I'm so glad that he's willing to do all the other things to help you heal. But one way you can begin to believe him is by asking the same question 800 times and getting the same answer. And that's just how our minds work when we've been through a trauma like this. Um, What John was saying about forgiveness, um, I believe it's important to be committed to forgiveness. I don't think it's important to be finished with forgiveness. Because the other thing I want you to remember just for your own healing is that grief is the normal reaction to loss. And you have experienced a long list of losses. And so you are in the midst of, of grieving and getting your head around everything that this has touched. And so it's possible that there are things that you'll need to forgive farther down the road. Um, Because, yes, John was saying that I think forgiveness is a process, an event, and a process. And the initial process is being able to say, this is what it is, this is what it cost me, um, and this is how it felt. The event... I like the um, picture of that person no longer being indebted to you. And then the process afterwards is if they do something new or you remember what they did, you don't dredge it up and hold it against them. It doesn't mean that you don't remember what they did. It means you don't hold it against them. And and so hopefully that clarifies my view on on forgiveness. Um, but I am so thankful that your husband is.
so committed to doing whatever he needs to to help you heal. That's actually all of our questions for tonight. Keep them coming, and wish you all the, the best in your recovery. Good night. Good night.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.